Amen. How you doing, church? Y'all all right today? Happy belated Thanksgiving. Um, my name's Chris. For those of you that uh, I do not know or haven't met yet, uh, my name's Chris Pletcher. I am one of the pastors on staff here at Antioch. I'm actually our family's pastor. And so, um, you know, just a few days on the heels of Thanksgiving, probably one of the biggest family gathering points uh, in our nation. I feel excited that I kind of get to come and share uh, a little bit of my heart with you this morning and uh, and just kind of share a message that the Lord has, has put on my heart for our church. But uh, did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Fun? Good times? Some good food? How many of you guys, be honest, like going into Thanksgiving, your, your hopes were high. You're like, man, I'm taking some time off of work. You know, I get like some vacation or a feast. I'm excited. You, just give me a hand. Like, man, I was really had some high hopes for my Thanksgiving break. Okay, keep your hand raised if like all your hopes and dreams were like perfectly satisfied by Thanksgiving. All right, cool. Hey, for the three of you, you might not need this message this morning for, okay, but for the rest of y'all who, you know, just are still hungry for something, right, um, I think God's got something powerful for us this morning. Um, this actually, I want to start off with a few thoughts about family. Uh, this is not, was not a kind of a main part of the message that I was pre- uh, planning to preach, but, but with Thanksgiving just being so closely behind us, I, I feel like um, the Lord just is inviting me an opportunity to share a little bit about my journey with family. So we went to Houston this past week, and uh, we were kind of going between some different family gatherings and driving around, and I was on the, the main street that I kind of grew up on, and, and I said, hey, babe, we're, it was me and my wife and our four kids loaded down in the minivan. I mean, goodness, it takes half our house just to get out of town with four kids. So we're driving around, and we're passing the street that I grew up on. I was like, babe, this is so cool. Why don't we go drive and look at the house of where I grew up and show, you know, show our kids? And so we turn on the street, and I'm like excited. This is going to be fun and nostalgic. And, and then as we drive by and we're looking at the house, beautiful home that I grew up in, I realized that it was actually the last house that I lived in with both my parents before they got divorced when I was 14. And so I was looking at the house and kind of realizing this, and I looked at the front windows of the house, and I realized that the front room of that house was actually where my parents sat us down. It was during the Christmas holidays. I was 14 years old, and they told me and my two siblings that they were getting a divorce. Merry Christmas, right? And uh, this sadness just kind of set in, you know, 21 years later, 21 years later, this sense of sadness set in, you know, and it just, it makes the holidays a little tough, even after all these years, and, you know, families are meant to stay together. That was God's design and intent and purpose, and I'm not sharing this to have a little personal pity party this morning. I'm sharing this because I know I'm not the only one that has gone through those kind of situations with family. I just would love to be, show a hands if you have come from a broken home or divorced family, and the holidays are a little, wow, look across the room. Holidays are a little bittersweet because you kind of realize, wow, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. I shouldn't have to bounce between like three to four different homes, right, and not even have my parents in the same room ever again. You know, it's not the way it's supposed to be. So my parents got a divorce. High school was rough. I went off to college, and honestly, I was excited to kind of escape the brokenness of my family. I went to college. And honestly, it didn't get any better because I wasn't following God, so I just recreated my own brokenness, right? And thankfully, a few weeks into my freshman year, many of you heard my testimony, God just radically reached into my life, and, and I began to follow Jesus. 
And the craziest thing happened is, is the Lord put friends, believers, the church. I got involved in a local church, and I been, began to experience this powerful reality of the family of God. And it was, it was crazy. I felt more accepted and loved and, other, and understood by the church than I did by my own family. It was powerful and it was beautiful because in many ways, my natural family, and I know some of you guys, in many ways, your natural family failed you. Your parents in some way failed you. And so experiencing this reality of the family of God rescued me from this sense of feeling kind of orphaned and alone. It was a very powerful reality for me in my college years as I began to experience the family of God. And if you have heard me talk much, or even on Sundays, I say this all the time, that the church is the household of God. Who lives in a household? A family. So this is straight from Ephesians 2. I want you to check it out, just so you know I'm not making it up. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's good news. But it's it's actually created, just to share a little of my story, it's actually created some problems between me and my natural family because my natural family over the years has started to sense that they are not as much of a priority to me as the family of God. Anybody else been there or experienced that? And they can't quite understand why I'm not as you know, excited and committed to to our family, both my parents went on to get remarried, so I've got step-siblings all across the board, and, and they can't really understand why I'm not as excited and connected to the family as I am to this family. And it's created some challenges over the years, but in Matthew 12, 46, we see this inner exchange with Jesus and his disciples, and it says, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. He replied to the man who told him, who, uh, he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So I say, hello, brothers and sisters, you guys really are my family. The church of God has become my spiritual family, and I think that it's a sentiment that Jesus himself even shares. Now, we got to walk the line and still love and honor and pursue and invest in no matter where your family is, and I've had to up my game and my own personal involvement with my family, but I just felt like sharing a brief bit of that this morning because I know that I am not the only one that is trying to walk this line. Are any of you guys with me? Trying to walk this line between my natural family that doesn't really feel like home to me all the time and the family of God where I actually feel more known and understood than anywhere else. And I just want to say that I, that I think that that's okay for us to be navigating that. And if you come from a broken home or divorced family or a tough situation, just know that you're not alone. That God is a good heavenly father and that if you've placed your hope and faith in Jesus, that you've been adopted into his family, and look at this room full of brothers and sisters. This is a place where you are known, accepted, and loved by the grace of God. Amen? So it also, this, this sentiment of family really also creates a backdrop for what I want to talk about this morning. And what I want to talk about this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to talk about healing your identity. I want to talk about how do we strengthen and heal 
In other words, how do we fortify our identity? And the reason why this family conversation is so important to it is because our initial sense of our identity, which is just, identity is simply who, who am I and who do I understand myself to be? How do I define myself? Where do we get our initial understanding of our identity from? Where do we get our initial understanding of who we are? Where do we get it from? We get it from our family. So as we talk in the church about our identity in Christ, we have to acknowledge that those of us like me from broken homes probably have more identity healing that needs to take place than some of you guys that grew up in healthy homes. Maybe your parents are still married. And better than that, maybe you even were raised with a healthy understanding of the good news of Jesus in your household and your identity in God because of his grace. But it's, can we just agree that it's not the same for all of us, that we all have different journeys? Okay, can we all agree that it's not the same for all of us, that we all have different journeys? Because here's the reality, guys. Parents are called by God to instill healthy identity into their children, okay? So let me just create an illustration. So if Tyler and Ashley do a good and faithful job of parenting their kids in a healthy identity, then these guys, Ethan and Graham, they're actually going to grow up with a healthy understanding of who God is and who they are, and they're going to, check this out, they're going to have an easier time walking as a healthy, healthy follower of Jesus than I am, than I did. And that's not, oh, pity party, woe is me. That is a reality. If that's not true, then what are they working so hard to, to parent? You know what I'm saying? It actually matters where you came from and what your family was like and if your parents are still married or not and what kind of identity was instilled. It actually matters. It matters. And so as we talk about healing our identity today, you need to understand, if you're like me and you came from a harder situation and your identity was a screwed up mess for the first 18, 20 years of your life, you've got more work to do in this area than if you came from really solid, healthy roots. Are you with me? But that's okay. We all have different work to do in different ways, and this is just, you get to work hard like me to have a healthy understanding of our identity, all right? So finish this statement for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Hey, that's a great, that's a great little childhood phrase. Somebody's picking on you on the playground, you know, words will never hurt me. That's great, except for the fact that it's totally not biblical at all, right? Because Proverbs 18.21 says that there's actually death and life in the power of the tongue. So sticks and stones may break your bones, but words actually can kill you. You know that. They can. There's death in the power of the tongue, okay? My fifth grade soccer coach, guys, my fifth grade soccer coach, I hadn't really hit my growth spurt yet. Let's just say I was a little husky, all right? At least that's what they called me back in the day. My fifth grade soccer coach, though, decided to call me Pillow, all right? Yeah, it's funny now, all right? In fifth grade, it's not funny. So we'd sit down in our little team circle, have a team meeting. He'd be like, hey, Pillow, come over here so I can lay down on you. Take a rest, okay? Yes, I've been to counseling, all right? The crazy thing is, like two years later in seventh grade, I hit this growth spurt. I grew like 18 inches in a year and a half, okay? And I became so skinny. So my seventh grade baseball coach, 
I'd turn sideways like this, and he'd be like, Pletcher, where'd you go? I'm like, which one is it, man? Am I fat? Am I thin? I don't even know who I am, you know? Just identity crisis. Come on. But, man, I know all of us, right? You had different names or, or things that people said about you growing up. And, guys, you need to realize that there actually is death in the power of the tongue. And some of you might still be even carrying some of those names, things that your parents said about you or your teachers or friend or whatever said about you. And this is so significant for us to identify because in Proverbs 23, verse 7, there's this short little statement that says, As a man thinks within himself, so he is. What does this mean? You, your understanding, what you think about yourself actually determines who you will be. Who you think yourself to be will actually produce your behavior. See, we think that our behavior, behavior defines our identity. It's actually the reverse. We behave out of our identity. So if you walk around all the time going, man, I'm just this weak, struggling sinner. I'm just a no good. I can never figure it out. Da, 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 da. You're probably going to act like this weak, no, struggling, oh, just some, such a sinner, you know? But if you walk around with a healthy understanding that in Jesus, actually, he's called me a saint, and I'm a new creation, and I'm a child of the living God, and that's what you think about yourself as you walk around all day long, you're probably going to act and live and start to look like a saint who's a new creation and understands he's a child of God. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. And in Romans 12, 3, we see further support of this idea. He says, by the grace of God given to me, I say everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Think with sober judgment. I want to propose to you a definition of humility. I threw it out there a couple weeks ago as well, but I believe that humility is having an accurate estimation of yourself, an accurate, not a self-exalted or a self-degraded understanding of who you are. Humility is to have a true estimation of who I am. And I believe, guys, as far as our identity goes, that we need a new view of who we are. A week or so in one of our staff meetings, one of our staff members shared this quote with us. She said, we need a new view of who we are. We need to stop apologizing for who we are. We need a confidence that is deeply rooted in humility and wholeness. So I believe that God is going to do some healing of our identities this morning. I believe that the word of God is going to move powerfully and is going to bring healing to how we think and understand ourselves. And I think it's going to happen through two primary ways this morning. Here's how I think, this is just my opinion, how I think that identities are healed and restored. It's through declarations and it's through confession. So that's where we're going this morning. If you reach under your chair, you should have gotten one as you came in. There's a list of seven declarations that I believe have the power to heal and strengthen your identity and your understanding of yourself. And so we're actually just going to work through this little worksheet together this morning. So I want you to go ahead and pull it out. If you don't have one, raise a hand. We might have an usher come around or Mitchell is going to bring some extra sheets around. So if you don't have one of these sheets, it's a half page little card stock you should have gotten on the way in. Just keep your hand up and we'll make sure that you get one. As we're doing that, I want you to flip, if you have a Bible, I want you to flip to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, all right? And I hope that you love the Bible because we're going to read a lot of it today. Amen. 
Are you guys getting tired of the sound of my voice yet? Yeah. All right. Sometimes I get tired of the own sound of my voice. I'm like, gosh, just be quiet. <clears throat> Thanks, Dustin. All righty. So Ephesians 1 and 2. Guys, we're starting with seven declarations that I believe will heal your identity. And again, some of you are going to have to work a little bit harder at this than others. As we go through this list, if you have a healthy understanding of who you are in Jesus and your parents sewed into that, then you're probably going to have an easier time with this one today. If you're like me, this is going to be some like pretty heavy lifting and work that's going to go beyond just our little 35 minutes today together, okay? I see you smiling at me. I've got some friends out there. All right. So... I want you guys to start with me actually in Ephesians chapter 2. And Mitchell kind of stole my thunder by so clearly and powerfully preaching the gospel this morning because that's really exactly where this whole identity conversation really just revolves around the gospel. Because if we believe in the good news of Jesus and we believe in what he has done for us and actually trust in that, then it totally redefines our identity, guys. It, the whole conversation about who we are and how we think about ourselves is completely shaped by the gospel. And so that's why we got to start in chapter 2. I know I'm rearranging the order a little bit, but it's, it's helpful. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Somebody say, were. were. Thank you, Jesus. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, say all, all, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even like the rest. Man, that's pretty encouraging, right? That's, uh, that'd be a great sermon. Just stop right there. Hey, you're all children of wrath. Have a great day, you know? Thankfully, it doesn't stop there, but we got to pause there for a second. Do you know that you actually were not born a child of God? You were not born a child of God. You were created as a child of God, but you were born actually into sin and were by nature a child of wrath. So funny, I ran into a fr an old friend at the gym yesterday. Guys, this is crazy. S side note. Okay, I ran into him. We're talking. I hadn't seen this guy in years, right? We're talking, small talk for a few minutes and he asked me what I was doing. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm actually on staff of this church and da, da da He goes, hey, let me ask you a question. I've been asking everyone this lately. He goes, do you think men are inherently good or evil? I'm not kidding. Sitting in the middle of the gym, he's just like, do you think men are inherently good or evil? And um, the Holy Spirit just like honestly gave me an answer in the moment because I, I like have never answered the question before this way. But I said, hey, actually, I think that's a trick question. I think that I think the answer is both. I think that inherently, when God created men, we were inherently amazing, right? Created in the image of God. I think we were inherently amazing. But not too long after we were created, we chose rebellion against God, and we chose our own sin. And so what that has done for all of us is I now believe that everyone is born into this world with an inherent bent towards evil. But if you trust in Jesus and put your faith in him, the Bible says that you're born again and you're a new creation. So then I think that in Jesus, actually you can be born again and inherently your nature is in the image of God and you're good again. Am I, are you guys with me? Okay, 
So I really do think that's the gospel. God created us inherently amazing. We fell into sin and became inherently and stubbornly bent on evil. But through Jesus, the old man is done away with. We become a new creation, born again. And now it's my nature again in the image of God to love God and reflect his goodness, not to just live for my own sin and wickedness. That's the gospel. Praise God. And so thankfully, Ephesians 2 doesn't end with us being children of wrath. It says in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. You are alive. Say, I am alive. alive. Just getting warmed up, guys. So now flip over to chapter 1. Because now we can read here in verse 3 of chapter 1, and it just kind of creates a, a little bit of a context for us of, of we've gone from death to life in Jesus. And so chapter 1 is what is true about us now. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Say, in Christ. In Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. The list goes on and on. What's the point? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us so many different things that are true about us in Christ. Say it again with me. In Christ. In Christ, I want you to walk through this sheet with me, seven things that I believe that are true about us in Christ. Now, the purpose of this sheet is, I'm going to ask you after each one, if you believe this personally. I'm gonna, we're going to say the declaration, and then I'm going to ask you, do you believe this? And if you believe this, I want you to write yes with an exclamation point in the margin next to it. If you don't, if if there's not like an immediate yes, this is me, then you need to be honest with yourself. And I want you to write, man, I don't think so. And then this will be a launching point for you to return later on and say, God, why don't I believe this about myself? Are you with me? So number one, in Christ, in Christ, I am a beloved child of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in Christ you are a beloved child of God? Do you believe that in Christ that you have been adopted by a heavenly father who is for your good, who loves you, he is in covenant family relationship with you, and that you're his child? If you don't have an immediate yes in your heart, I want you to ask God, why not? I will be honest with you. I have had to wrestle. I've been following Jesus for 16 years, and I've had to wrestle, wrestle, to actually believe that I'm adopted and beloved child of God. Because I came out of a broken home where the state of my heart was I'm alone and I'm an orphan. And I don't have a family to go home to at Christmas and I don't belong anywhere. And you know, are you with me? And so this sounds so simple and foundational and it should be, but for some of us it's a fight. Number two, in Christ, in Christ, You are holy and blameless in his sight. Do you believe it? Oh, not not as many yeses on that one, huh? In Christ, you are holy and blameless in his sight. You know why? 
Because once and for all on the cross, Jesus paid for all of your sin. So at the moment that you said yes and received the gift of his salvation, his life, in that moment, you became blameless and pure. We just sang about it. Though our sins are scarlet, he has made us white as snow. Do you believe that you're holy and blameless in his sight? If not, maybe you need to come back to the gospel and realize that in Christ, you are. Number three, do you believe that you are a new creation? Fundamentally, the old you, your old nature is gone, and the new has come. Do you believe it? Do you know that this means that if you are in Christ, it's no longer your nature to sin? You can still sin. You can still choose sin. But it is no longer your nature to crave for sin like you used to if you're in Christ. It's like this. You guys know that diesel engines and gasoline engines, they run on different fuel, right? If you put gasoline in a diesel engine, it doesn't work. It starts to malfunction and things go bad and actually can lead to really costly repairs for the engine. So before Christ, this is a story of my life, guys. I was a diesel engine. I ran off of diesel fuel, okay? And that was a hunger and a craving and an enslavement to sin. But when I came and when Jesus rescued my life and caused me to be born again, he made me a new creation. He transformed me from a diesel engine into a gasoline engine, which means I fundamentally run on different fuel. If you put sin into my engine, it just doesn't really feel that great anymore. It doesn't really work that well anymore. Why? Because I'm a new creation. And now in Christ, I am made to function off of God and his goodness and his presence and walk in obedience to his commandment. Are you with me? That also means that I am, number four, free from the bondage of sin. Do you believe that in Christ, say it with me, in Christ, that you are free? You can still choose sin, but not because it's your master anymore. You can still be enslaved to sin, but it's because you're choosing and going back and back to the same vomit that you once tried to leave. But if you're in Christ, you're fundamentally set free from sin. It does not rule over you like it once did. Number five, you're a saint. Do you believe in Christ? Say, I am a saint. I am a saint. Man, there's a little bit of conviction in that. Let's try this again. Maybe, okay, Lord, I repent for not believing the Bible that says I'm a saint in Jesus. Okay, say it with me, guys. I am a saint. I am a saint. Okay, if you're not a saint, then the entire New Testament is not written to you. Every single letter of Paul to every single church that they planted, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians, all the ones that are hard to pronounce, right? They all start out the same. To the saints at Ephesus. If you're not a saint, sorry, this doesn't apply to you because this book is written to the saints. The New Testament is written to the saints. And we need to kick this mentality that being humble means that I walk around and just call myself a sinner all day long. Because you know that the word sinner, after the resurrection, the word sinner is only found 11 times in the entire New Testament. 11 times post-resurrection. Do you know how many times the word saint is found? 
60. That's right. Somebody was at men's retreat. Come on. 60 times. You're a saint. In Christ, you're a saint. Not in yourself, not of your own righteousness. You are a saint in Christ. And if you understand that he's already done it for you, then it will empower you to actually live like it's true. Number six, I am his workmanship and I have a purpose. This is in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are the workmanship of God and you have a purpose in Christ. And number seven, lastly, whatever your purpose and calling may be, you have everything. You are fully equipped for everything he's called you to do. You are fully equipped for everything he's called you to do. Do you believe it? I, I encourage you and challenge you to take this sheet of paper to walk through in your time with God and to really reflect and say, God, this is all scripture. Go look up these verses. I'm not trying to like sell you on something. This is just what the Bible says is true about you in Christ. Amen? So, <clears throat> do you know that there's actually two fathers in the, in the Bible? There's two different fathers in the New Testament. There's the Heavenly Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? But there's another father. Who's the other father that's talked about in the New Testament? The Father of Lies. Who's that? Satan, our enemy, our adversary. He's the father of lies. So you've got the father, the good heavenly father, who has done everything possible to save you and renew you and restore and heal your identity through Jesus. And he is calling and he's saying, my son, my daughter, this is who you are in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. And then you've got the father of lies who is seeking to destroy you by distorting your identity and by accusing your character. But I believe that identity will be healed today if you will grab hold of what is actually true of you in Jesus. Guys, I wake up many days and my default feeling is not, I'm a child of God, woo, I'm so excited, I'm a new creation. I don't like roll out of bed just feeling like, man, I'm this new creation, I'm fully alive. You gotta go get it. You gotta press into it. Jesus has already done it, but we have to receive it and lay hold of it. And we have to actively stand against the father of lies because he is seeking to destroy our identity. So here's the cool thing about this. I said that the steps to healing your identity are declaration and confession. So the declaration of truth helps us set our eyes on what is actually true, right? But can we agree that we're all in process? Okay, the, the theological term for being in process is sanctification. Sanctification, all that means is just you're, you're not completely looking like Jesus yet. But it's interesting, in Hebrews 10, there's this verse in Hebrews 10, 14, it says, this is mind-blowing, by a single offering, it's talking about Jesus' sacrifice for sin on the cross. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What does this verse tell you about you? There's two things. What does it tell you? I am perfect, and I am in process. Do you see it? 
the offering of Jesus. Do you believe it, church? I am perfect. Whoa, not a whole lot of yeses on that one. Guys, is the Bible true or not? Did Jesus die for your sanctification and redemption or not? Because the Bible says that you have already been made perfect in Christ. And you are still being sanctified. The theologians call this positional righteousness versus practical righteousness. So positionally before God right now, I am covered in the blood of Jesus and I am perfect. I'm a saint. I'm a child of God. I'm a new creation. I'm blameless and pure and holy. Practically, still working some things out, guys. We're in process, right? That is the journey that we are on. And so in the process, we've got to walk in confession. We've got to walk in confession because when we partner with sin in any way, it doesn't just dishonor God. It actually distorts our identity. And so if we're going to walk in a healthy identity, we can't just declare truth over ourselves all day long and hope our problems are going to go away. We actually have to walk in openness and as we call walking in the light and the confession of our sin. Because when I drag my sin, these parts of my life that are still in process, when I bring it out into the light, it gets cut off and it loses its power and influence over my identity. And so if I'm going to become who I am, right, if I'm going to become practically who God already says I am positionally, I've got to walk in the light in confession. And there's not a better passage in Scripture to give us a roadmap for this than 1 John chapter 1. So I want you to flip there. we got a few minutes left this morning, guys. 1 John chapter 1. I don't believe that there is a greater, more concise theology of, of how believers deal with their sin than in 1 John chapter 1. There is no other place in the New Testament where it's so clear and concise. It says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship him, with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pretty powerful stuff, right? You actually can't live a life wrapped up in sin and darkness and be like, oh yeah, I love God, man. We're cool. He's my best friend. And I'm a slave to sin. And every No, if that's you, you're actually a liar. If you're saying that my life is full of darkness and sin and yet I have fellowship with God, you're lying to yourself. Okay? But if you notice, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So let me ask you this. Is the light, is there sin in the light? Is the light a place where sin exists? No. Yes. Which one is it, church? Yes. The light is a place where sin exists. The light is a place where sin is confessed and is cleansed. The light does not mean that there's no sin there. It means that the, the light is a place where sin is being eradicated. It's like, you, you know, you walk into a dark room and you flip on the light and cockroaches scatter, right? That's like our sin. 
in the light. They're, we're getting out of here, you know? It can't stick around. And so let me ask you this. Do you have to confess your sin to somebody else to be forgiven of your sin? No, you don't. Jesus is your one and only high priest. You don't have to go sit in a confession booth or talk to me or anybody else. Jesus alone, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. But let me ask you this. Do you have to confess your sin to somebody else if you want to walk in freedom and be healed from that sin? I submit to you the answer is yes. James 5.16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be forgiven? No, my forgiveness is in Jesus alone. But if I want to walk in healing of my identity and who I really am, I have to be walking in the light and confessing my sin, it says here, to one another, right? And receive prayer. The light is a place where sin is confessed and cleansed and where healing takes place. I believe that God has designed the church to be kind of like a spiritual triage unit where we heal one another as we walk in the light. We actually minister healing to each other as we walk in the light together. You see what I'm saying? We don't minister forgiveness to each other. That's Jesus alone. But we minister healing to each other. And when we walk in the light, it actually, it, it actually frees me from the, the distortion of my identity that comes through sin. Okay, some of y'all are with me. That's okay. So I believe God has healing for our identities today, both through the declaration of what is true about us in Christ and through the confession of our sin as we walk in the light. So I'm going to have the band go ahead and come on up. And um, guys, y'all can stand. We're going to close together and respond. We'll go ahead and invite our um, life group leaders, section leaders, our prayer team guys, if you could go ahead and come forward. That'd be amazing. I want to say one last, uh, share one last story about confession just to hopefully free you and give you some vision. Um, we're not going to make you all line up in a line and confess your sins to these guys today. Don't worry, okay? But there is going to be opportunity if you need to get something off your chest and into the light um, that today's your day. The light is not a place where sin does not exist. The church is not a place where sin does not exist. It is a place where sin is dragged, kicking and screaming, into the light of God's grace and goodness, and it is confessed, it is repented for, and it is forsaken, and it is cleansed and healed, and we move on in Jesus. When I was a freshman in college, uh, I just started following the Lord. It must have been the first like three to four months of, of like start, starting a walking community and follow Jesus, and any time I would gather with friends or at any type of event to worship, something strange started happening. It was like any time I tried to, tried to engage my mind to worship God, I would start getting this, this flood of really just wicked thoughts. I'm not, I can't even go into detail about what they are in this setting. This wouldn't be helpful. But just this flood of like wicked thoughts that I just could not get out of my mind. Any time I'd gather to worship God, it was the only time it would happen. And I felt so ashamed that I was having these thoughts. Honestly, the nature of these thoughts, it was just some disgusting stuff. And I was like so ashamed and embarrassed. And so I just hit it. Like, oh man, what is wrong with me? 
oh, that sounds like someone listening to the father of lies right there. What is wrong with me? I'm so wicked. I'm so broken. I'm so, and I walked in that for weeks and it just got worse and worse, worse and worse. And finally one day, I don't even know if I'd read first John or not, but I was like, man, I, I, I got to talk to somebody. And so I went out to lunch with one of my friends and I just, I just laid it all out there. I said, man, this is crazy, but anytime we gather and we're trying to worship, this is where my mind's going. And I'm like being honest and vulnerable, and it was humiliating. And I felt so much shame. And man, he prayed for me, and he shared the gospel with me, and he reminded me of the forgiveness of God and through Jesus. And guys, I walked away from that lunch, and it never happened again. Never happened again. I walked it into the light, and God put it to death. He put it to death. And some of you are here this morning, and that's what you need to do today. So here's the response. Number one, we're just going to celebrate. We're going to sing a song about the faithfulness of God. And man, if you're in good stand with the Lord, and you just need to praise God that all of this is true about you, then just worship, right? But if there's something on this list where your identity really needs to get healed, I want you to come and share that. Say, hey, will you pray for me? Because I don't really feel like I'm free from sin. Will you pray for me? And then lastly, if, if there's something you need to confess and just get off your chest here in the light this morning, the invitation is open. Everything up here is confidential. Maybe it's not one of these guys. Maybe it's a friend of yours here or somebody in your life group that's sitting out here. You just need to turn to a brother and say, man, that's fine too, guys. Get it off your chest and into the light so you can walk out and be who God says you are in Jesus. Amen? Father God, we invite you right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you bring healing in our hearts all throughout this room? Lord, wherever there's a need of restoration and healing, come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your grace that in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, we are new. We're adopted. And we're loved by you, God. Thank you, Jesus.